It is so good to be with you all today to come and celebrate this time in February, uh, this time of black history. It is great to be in this place. Uh, of course, your pastor, Pastor Tara, I wish that she was here today. I know that she's away uh, on this Sabbath, but I am indeed grateful uh, for her. Now, I feel like I'm among friends. Is it all right if I'm comfortable among friends today? Uh, uh, it, it, it is great. I see so many faces that I've seen uh, and uh, throughout the years, people that I've known, people that have had uh, impact. As a matter of fact, uh, as I was typing out my message, I am grateful that my typing teacher is a, is a member here at this church, Beth Robertson. You know, uh, uh, I literally learned how to type on a typewriter. Now, that's a little bit of a window into how old I am. Um, but uh, I am indeed grateful uh, for that. Uh, I did not know it was going to be so important in my life. Uh, and, and then, and then uh, as you saw leading here today, uh, as I have pastored throughout this area, uh, as Gianna was leading worship, do you know that I sang on her worship team as well? Uh, and she was making sure that everything was down to the T. And so as I was singing, I was singing along, and I began to sing one of the phrases a little bit early because I was looking down and not looking at the leader, and I know that she would have called me out in practice if I had done that. So uh, it's so good to see you, uh, uh, Gianna. And then, of course, my friend Elena that I haven't seen in a while, Elena Mitchell, who came and, and we did ministry together over in Fontana. And then I'm excited that, that my wife, Amy, is here uh, with me today uh, as we do ministry together. So it is indeed an honor to be here to serve and to share with you all today. Black History Month. And some of you all might uh, have uh, learned a bit of, of history or looked a few things up. But for those that haven't, Dr. Carter G. Woodson in 1926 said there needed to be a, a time to be able to, to reflect on the accomplishments, to be able to reflect on the contributions of blacks in America. And that's where it began. He and others uh, uh, of his same mindset began uh, at that time what was called Negro History Week. And it continued to, to grow, and others began to become a part of it. But it wasn't until 1976 that what was Black History Week became Black History Month. And ever since that time, there has been a, a, a pause, an intentional knowing, an intentional reflecting on the contribution of blacks here in America. But you would also uh, be like, uh, like for you to know that it's not only here in the United States where it's celebrated. There are other countries that also recognize Black History Month and the contributions that blacks have made there. Everywhere that you go on the planet, there have been contributions. And we take this time to reflect on it. Now, some might say, why the month of February? I wish I could say it's because I was born in February, but this far predates me. Because during this time, both Abraham Lincoln and Frederick Douglass were both born in the month of February, two great figures of abolition here in America. And to honor them and to remember them, they had said February is the month where we want to reflect and take time. 
So that is just a very brief. There's so much more to this history and to this story that I could share. But in our brief time, as I looked at the run sheet, it said 25 minutes for the message. And so I got to get going with it. 1985, I was young. It's about five, six years of age. And, and my dad had a great idea. He said, uh, 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 let's go on a trip. As a matter of fact, those that can remember back that far, we were headed to New Orleans for the general conference that was held there. And, 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 and we were excited. I had never left the state of California before. I wanted to see what the rest of the nation looked like. I was excited about it. So, so I went to my dad. I said, Dad, are we going to fly? No, we're not going to fly. Uh, 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 dad, how are we going to get there? We lived in Union City just outside of Oakland, California at that time. And New Orleans is over 2,000 miles away. It would have been nice had my dad grabbed an RV, a Winnebago of some sort, and put the family in there. But, 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 but that's not how we got there. It would have been nice to have a, a, a conversion van. Uh, 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 that would have been nice. Some of you all might remember those. That would have been great. It, 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 we, we didn't go in a conversion van. It, it, it might have been nice to have a station wagon. You know, one of those back in the day uh, uh, where they had the back seat that faced out, out, the, out, out the back window. Do you remember those? That would have been nice. But no. No, my mom, my dad, my oldest brother, Alan, my sister, Colleen, my younger brother, Gerard, my father, and my grandmother all gathered and packed our things into a 1984 Lincoln Town Car and began to make our way. Saw cactus for the first time. Saw some things for the first time. My brother and I were there. We were so small at the time. We could kind of hang out in the footwell, which is where we spent a lot of time. And needless to say, we got to know each other really, really well. There are lots of other stories that I could tell about that particular trip. But, but the one that's important for, for today was when my dad said, we're going to stop where I grew up. Little town in Ville Platte, Louisiana. I remember pulling in and looking out of the window saying, this is a city. I remember driving down the road and, and seeing some of the houses that seemed as if they were barely standing. And my dad still burned into his mind and in his memory where his house was. He, go, he goes down the street and he drives down and there it was, his old house, barely standing. He couldn't believe it. He couldn't either. 
My dad is scanning around as we get out of the car, and the road is a little bit dusty, and, and there, there are a few other houses that are there, and, and he sees someone that is there on their porch, and he looks over, and he begins to approach the man, and it's amazing to watch your grown father approach another grown man and to see the joy in his eyes because after all of those years, they recognized each other. It was awesome to see. And they began to talk and share uh, about the times when they grew up together. And my dad, my dad had, a, had, a, had one of those hats. We, we would probably call it a cowboy hat. And, and, and his friend had one on as well. And as a sign of love and a sign of, of giving a gift to one another, they exchanged hats with each other. Then we went to my dad's house. We began to walk around. And of course, it was old. It, it had been exposed for many years to the elements and weather and all of those things. Uh, 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 but, but I couldn't help but notice that, that there were holes in the walls of the house. And, and I was looking at, at all of the holes. No, 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 no not, not, not big holes where somebody had, had kicked a hole in. Not, not those kinds of holes. Not, not holes where the wood had degraded. No, not those kind of holes. Holes about the size of a peephole. Holes that were there. I said, Dad, why are, why are there these little holes in the wall? Then he begins to tell the story. When I was younger, see, see, I lived on this side of town because this is where we were allowed to live. And, 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 and folks from the, from the other side of town, they, they would come and they would, they would try to scare us and try to scare us away. And so they would shoot bullets into the hole. And my mother and my mother, your grandmother, Elise, would take me and put me underneath the bed so that I could be safe. Because uh, if I was there low enough, the holes that were created that you see now would not turn into a tragic situation. Holes in the wall. Well, we all know about holes in walls. Holes in, in places. We, we didn't put them there, but they're, but they're holes. Holes holes in walls. Holes in, 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 in people's lives. Holes in, in people's hearts. Holes in, in, in people's ideas. Holes that are there. They are, they are, they are there, and they, 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 they serve as mementos of all of the things and the experiences uh, that are there. They did not ask for the holes to be there, but the holes exist. Nonetheless, they did not make them safer. It did not make them better. It was not a renovation project to make things better. The holes were not created for that. The holes in some people's lives are there because of scars and because of pain and because of challenge and because of oppression. Daddy, why are there holes in lives? Why are there holes in the wall? Nehemiah is in a good place. 
You, you can read in chapter 1, chapter 1, it talks about how good life is for Nehemiah. Nehemiah doesn't have any issues. He doesn't have any challenges. Nehemiah's 401k is doing great. Nehemiah has a great home. Nehemiah has a great job. Nehemiah has everything that he needs. He has safety. He has strength. He has access. He has power. He has everything that he needs in life. Nehemiah is sitting pretty. Nehemiah Nehemiah doesn't live on the north side of Redlands. No, no, no. Nehemiah lives in the south side of Redlands. Lives in the good parts. Nehemiah is doing well. And it's one day, just like my father, that, that, that he is there and, and, and some people come to visit. And, and, and he asked them the question, uh, uh, how are things going, uh, going at home? How are, how are things uh, happening? How are people at home? And they begin to share with them, Nehemiah, there are holes in the wall. There are holes that are there, and, and, and the morale of the people, it is not good. Uh, people are being oppressed. People are hurt. People are broken. People are not doing well. There is more depression than there is a, a progress. There is more pain and hurt and, and struggle than there is an uplifting joy and hopefulness. Nehemiah, things are not okay. Nehemiah has a lot to think about. He has a lot to process. He has a lot that he needs to lock on to because Nehemiah is in a good place. As a matter of fact, all of this is happening while he is making progress, while he is doing well, while he is strong. And Nehemiah hears this story, and I believe this is where we find our challenge today. Nehemiah has everything that is going well for him, but now he has knowledge that what is good for him and what life is, is, is great and progressive for him, that it is not the same story for everybody. It is not the story of where he came from. There are holes in those walls, but he doesn't see it as those walls. He sees it, watch this, as his walls. Nehemiah has a decision that he has to make. What do I do with this information? What do I do now that I know that something is wrong? It's the tension that we live in. In today's society, what do I do and how do I respond when I know that things are not okay? Nehemiah does the unusual, the challenging, and the difficult thing. Nehemiah, the first thing that he does is he begins to weep and cry. He is overwhelmed with emotion. He is broken by what it is that he hears. And he is broken by the mere reality that he had hoped that things would be better. But because he now knows that things are not, how can he continue to live life the same way? 
how can he continue to do the same things? How can he still comfortably enjoy all that he has while he knows back home that things are broken and things are weak? How can he turn a blind eye? How can he turn a deaf ear? He weeps. And for some of us, some of us, when we hear the stories of what is happening in the world, what is happening in our nation, what is happening in our state, what is happening in our city, for some of us and for most of us, it breaks our heart to see the brokenness of society. But watch this. Hear me, hear me today. Nehemiah, he weeps and then he prays, but then there's an unction on the inside that now he must leave where he is. Nehemiah, I can imagine as he's processing this, as he perhaps is sharing with friends, and he's saying, look, I, I just can't sleep at night. My heart is broken. I've got to do something. God is moving something on the inside of me. How can I sit here and enjoy all that I have, the access, the power, the privilege, the strength, the safety? My walls are well-kept and well-structured while I know back at home not to far from where I am, that there are those that are weeping and struggling and broken and oppressed and struggling. I just can't do it anymore. Nehemiah doesn't only weep, but Nehemiah decides to do something. My brothers and sisters, that is perhaps the hardest thing for us. I know that in this room and, and even in my life, I have been blessed We've been blessed with resources. We've been blessed with access. We've been blessed with education. We have been blessed with structures and support that allows us to live lives of tremendous safety and lives of tremendous joy. Yes, we have our struggles, but as some people say, some of our struggles compared to others are like first world challenges. Some people who do not have a safety net. Failure is not an option. For others, they can struggle and fail many times because they know that there is a safety net beneath them that will always pick them up. Nehemiah doesn't just cry and say, poor them. Nehemiah doesn't just say, oh, that's just too bad. I wish they had made better choices in their life. Nehemiah doesn't sit back and say, if they were only not so lazy, something would happen. Nehemiah doesn't say, if they had only invested better, they wouldn't find themselves in this place. Nehemiah doesn't say those things. Nehemiah leaves his safety and comfort, and he goes under the unction of God and a broken heart to say, I must go and make a difference in the broken walls of other people's lives. And get this, he doesn't even need it. He doesn't need to build anything. He's good. My brothers and sisters, as we look at our lives, 
Many of us, when we can look around, we can say with conviction, truly, honestly, in our lives, we don't have to worry about many, many things that those that have come and struggle and battle have to worry about. People who are challenged by over-policing, people who are challenged by oppression, people who are challenged by racism, people who are challenged in this life. There are some things that never even pop up on on our radar, but if we would just look a little bit further over our safety walls, we would see that there are broken walls and holes everywhere. <laughs> so what does what does Nehemiah do? What does Nehemiah do? Nehemiah, he goes and he surveys, and because watch this, Nehemiah has access to power because he works for the king. Nehemiah had access to resources because of where he worked. Nehemiah had access to knowledge. Nehemiah had access to be able to support. Nehemiah had access to education, being able to organize. Nehemiah had all of those things, and he could have sat where he was and lived a life and died happy. But I'm so glad that there was something on the inside of him that said, I have to do better and make a difference. Nehemiah brings the people together and they begin to build, they begin to strengthen. And what I love about this, as you begin to read from Nehemiah 1 all the way through Nehemiah 6, that everybody has a role. No one is exempt. Families build, priests build, Levites build. Everyone has a job and they're not building in the same place. Each one is building their area. And here's the point that I want to make for each and every one of us. They worked under a common goal for a common good, but each one was building in their area. And each one was doing their work and doing their job, not for their own soul safety, but for the safety and security and well-being of all. You see, what, 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 what some of us may do is we might look around and say, you know what, uh, there's holes everywhere and, and there's no way I'm going to be able to fix all of these holes. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to make sure the wall around me is good and let everybody else worry about themselves. That's what Nehemiah could have done. What would happen if we stepped out? And said, I want to build and repair, not for my own soul benefit, but for the benefit of all. It was the same thing that happened, you've heard and perhaps read about, the Montgomery bus boycott. The most famous person in that boycott was a woman by the name of Rosa Parks. You know her as the woman who sat down, and history tells us that it was not in a whites-only part of the bus. But it was a part of, of the bus where she was allowed to sit. But if more white patrons came onto that bus, that she would need to get up and move. And on that day, on that day, her own personal account, she says this, It was not that I was too tired to get up. I was 42 years old. 
It wasn't that, 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 that I, I couldn't, I didn't have the strength and that my feet were worn out. No, that wasn't the reason that I did not get up that day. I was so tired of dealing with all of the oppression. That's what caused me to stay in my seat. That's the story that many of us know. But did you know that nine months prior to that, and for all of my young people and all of my teens, I want you to hear this today, that there was another person nine months earlier by the name of Claudette Colvin, who was 15 years of age, who did the exact same thing. They did not want to use her as an example because she was so young. But because she had done this and defied the law and she had sat there in that place, she was arrested and Rosa Parks throughout that time was active in raising money for her legal defense when she herself found herself in a position and she did the same thing that that 15-year-old girl did. We build together. And over the course of that time, uh, uh, thousands, thousands uh, uh, of black Americans there in Montgomery who were 75% of the ridership in that area decided that I am going to be uncomfortable, not for my own good, but for the good of everyone. I will walk to work. I will walk back home. I will walk everywhere that I need to go. I refuse to ride and continue to contribute to a system that oppresses oppresses me and causes me to do harm to myself, I no longer will be a part of that. And it only worked, watch this, because everyone built together. What happens when people who have been broken down begin to make progress collectively? And begin to make progress collectively. I know I have a few minutes here. I'll close this message. Nehemiah in chapter 6 as we read. All throughout those five chapters. Everyone. Families. Leaders. Priests. Everyone had a role. Everyone built. But whenever the their systems begin to work together, they begin to help each other. They begin to protect each other. But not everyone. Everyone was not happy. Everyone was not excited. Everyone was not on board that now Jerusalem was going to be able to secure itself. Now the city was going to be safe. Now families could thrive. Now things could be saved. Now schools and education could be done in a, in a safe manner. Now people could have a way to take care of their own. Not everyone was happy about that because what it meant was that they would be able to get less from them. They benefited from holes in the wall. Sanballat benefited from holes in the wall. Tobiah benefited from holes in the wall. 
Geshem benefited from holes in the wall. And when they began to have dignity and bring themselves together and build together, and they began to see this is actually going to happen. It is actually going to work. What are we going to do to discourage them and dissuade them from making this progress? Because if they make progress, it means less for us. Does it sound familiar? What he should have done, Sanballat, was help. What he chose to do was to engage in injustice. What he should have done was to be happy and say, I am glad that now you are building a hopeful future. But because it meant less money in his pocket, because it meant less for him, because it meant that now he would have to work a bit harder to get what it is that he had before. Now it meant that he no longer could go and pillage God's children for his own profit and his own gain. He is against it and he speaks negatively and he spreads rumors and he tries to even kill. Does it sound familiar? Nehemiah at the end of chapter 6, there in the beginning of chapter 6, we find him there and they're trying to bait him down. They're trying to bait him. Nehemiah, come and talk with us. Come and hang on for a minute. Let's just have a quick conversation. But Nehemiah knows better. He knows that if he goes down to them, that he very well could lose his life. And at this point, he is almost done. The morale of the people is rising. People are getting excited. Things are getting done. There is a future for them. And he says to them, why should I come down to you when I have better work to do for people who need it the most here? I will not come down. And my brothers and sisters, I pray that it is our prayer as well that we will not come down from the work that builds others, from the work that allows others to have success and safety, that we will not come down from making progress. We're a long way from where King spoke about that dream. We still have ways to go. I thank God for the progress, but in our lives, there is still more that we can do. There are still some holes and gates that need to be put on the wall so that not some but all can prosper. And so Nehemiah realizes this. He won't come down. The rumors begin to fly about what he's trying to do. The insults begin to fly about who he is and who they are. Nehemiah in that moment, he says, God, strengthen my hands. Take strong hands. As a matter of fact, this Hebraic idiom says, God, empower me. 
It takes strong hands to leave where you are of safety, to go to another place and build up so that others can experience what you've had all along. It takes strong hands to call out injustice and bring justice. It takes strong hands to love on those who others have said are unlovable. It takes strong hands to have power and give it away. It takes strong hands to be able to say that you are my brother and you are my sister. It takes strong hands to love like Jesus loved. It takes strong hands to be able to say, I will build alongside you because when you are well, I am well. And when you are unwell, I am not well. And when you are not safe, I am not safe. It takes strong hands and a strong mind and a clear identity to make those kinds of decisions. And I just believe in this room with all of the access and all of the power and all of the position that we can make the same kinds of choices. But will we do it? What will we do with what we have for all? This is the clarion call of Nehemiah. This is the call of Jesus. The highest calling that we love and care for our neighbor and care for those that do not have and build up walls. God, strengthen our hands. I'll leave you with this last reading. It's a prayer. Strengthen my hands, I fervently plead. In a world where equity is our utmost need. May each hand be strong, may each heart be bold. In the crimson dawn, let our story be told. Hands that sow, hands that reap, hands that cradle in soft sleep. All hands equal, no less, no more, in this dance of life on an endless shore. Strengthen my hands, the ones that write, that paint portraits of justice in the quiet night. Hand in hand, let us chart this course, powered by God's love, our endless source. Strengthen my hands to build bridges wide, where on the path of equity all can stride. No hand is small, no hand is grand. In the pursuit of justice, together we stand. Strengthen my hands, an anthem rings. In a world where equity is the gift it brings. In every hand lies a story untold. Strengthened by courage, made resilient and bold. God, strengthen our hands. To build people, communities. Strengthen our hands to empower. Strengthen our hands for the building up of your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.